Did you know there was a free five-part podcast series all about classroom management? In this series, learn how I went from using traditional classroom management strategies without a lot of success to becoming a behavior detective. Discover how I help children with root cause of their behavior issues instead of just addressing the behavior itself. If you want to take a listen to this new series, just check the show notes. You're listening to the Lovely Preschool Teachers Podcast, the podcast for quick, actionable ideas and tips to help you up your confidence and joy in educating little learners. I'm your host, Ashley Rives. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to the Lovely Preschool Teachers Podcast. You're listening to episode 45, How to Set Up a Preschool Classroom. Setting up your preschool classroom doesn't sound that daunting, at least at first, and it certainly starts out fun. And if you have set up your classroom before, you know that there are a lot of logistics that get involved, and sometimes it can be more complicated than just putting the things out for the children. Year after year, I find myself determined to find that perfect, as if it exists, honestly, flow. And after changing my mind about a billion times, I usually land on a setup that seems to work for me, but more importantly, it's conducive to little learners that learn through play. And maybe I'm just weird here, but the thought of drawing out a diagram with all my centers and different color flare pens is super exciting. Sometimes I just get so excited and I just want to jump right in and plan all the things. But with experience, I've found that creating a successful layout isn't just me drawing squares and labeling them on my map. Making the environment conducive to my little preschoolers takes some planning. So that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to go through the steps that I now take to map out the physical space in my classroom and the considerations that I take to make sure that I'm being intentional to go ahead and curtail any negative behaviors because of my classroom environment. There are four steps that I go through to map all this out, and I've actually created a workbook for you if you want to work through these steps as well. You can find it at the show notes, lovelycommotion.com slash episode 45. All right, let's jump in. Step number one is going to be to inventory your furniture. Yeah, I really do this. What pieces of furniture do you have to use for centers? Do you have tables, shelves, pull-out drawers, tubs? Do you have rolling carts? What do you have to use? Because first you got to know everything that you have before you can decide how you're going to use them best in centers. So for example, I have one, two, three tables, small tables in my classroom that are great for centers and one large one that's great for small group, lunch, things like that. So I know I have those three small tables that I need to use for centers. So then I have to decide what I'm going to use those pieces of furniture for. So it's important I know everything I have so that I can make sure to match up the furniture with the best center. So once you've got a list of all the furniture that you have available to you to use, then you can move on to step number two. In step number two, you're going to decide on the areas that you need. 
which centers will you have this year? Will you need a carpet area for whole group or circle time? Will you need a large table for snacks or lunch and small group? Will you need a quiet, calm down area? What do you need in your classroom? And this is going to help you decide how many areas you have matching up the furniture and kind of what needs to go where. So step two, write down all those areas. For me in my classroom, I need a larger table for small group. I need places for the around 10 centers that I have. And then I need a place for lineup. And then I also need a carpet area. I need a place for me to put my own things to organize those. And let's see, I think that may, oh yes, and a place for children's cubbies. So thinking about all those different areas, and if you grab the workbook, there are also lots of examples in there to kind of get your um, memory jogging if you're not in your classroom right now, or kind of give you some ideas of things that you might want to decide you need, but totally up to you. Just think about the things that you absolutely need to have in your classroom. Now, here comes step three, considerations. And this is a big step. So I take the list of areas that I know that I need, and I decide if any considerations need to be taken when planning on where to put them. So I'm going to go through some considerations that you need to take when looking at these different areas of your classroom. So remember, this includes centers, this includes your group rug, this includes your large table, it includes all of the things in your classroom. Again, if you grab the workbook, there is a chart in there where you can list your center and then mark any of these considerations. So let's go through the considerations because this is really, really important. These considerations can make or break your classroom environment and can really either lead to behaviors or prevent them. So let's go through. Consideration number one, the noise factor. How noisy is each center or area? If it's the block center, the drama center, or you have a music center, you can bet they're going to be loud. And then how about areas that encourage calm and quiet, like the library or the calming corner, or if you have a listening center, those noisy and calm areas really should not be in close proximity. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to try your best to buffer those block centers and that drama center with a neutral center. And a neutral center in my classroom looks a lot like the art center. It looks like the writing center. It looks like the science center. So how can I buffer some of those noisy areas with neutral ones and then moving out to those quiet, calm areas. So keeping noise in consideration, because as we know, preschoolers are incredibly noisy. And we know that sometimes different areas of the room bring that noise factor up. Consideration number two is the popularity factor. So are there areas in your room or centers that are most likely to be really popular, meaning lots of kids want to go there at the same time? I can tell you from my past experiences that the drama center, the art center, and the block center 
are by far the most favorite places. So there's lots of kids trying to jam themselves in there at once. Therefore, I try to make those centers larger in size before we even start the year. So my block center basically is open to my my whole group rug. That way, they can use that whole entire rug for their block center. And I'm doubling that use of space because during center time, I'm not using the rug. Then if I need to, my block center cart is on our shelf, excuse me, is on rollers. So I can always turn it around or shut it if need be. I mainly just teach them that it's not time to play and it's time to sit and it usually isn't too big of a deal. But that popularity factor, I always make sure that my art center, even though my table only fits two, I have some room at the ends if kids want to bring chairs and come over as well. Drama center is the second largest center in my classroom because kids need to move around in there. They really need their space and I love for them to interact with others. It's not much fun in the drama center all by yourself. So I try to make that my second largest blocks being my first largest. So try to take those centers that need extra space into consideration when you're planning out your room. That way it's not an afterthought and you're not having people fighting over who gets to be where, bumping into each other and getting frustrated or knocking over towers. All right, let's look at consideration number three, the supervision factor. So when you're sitting down with a small group at the table, can you visually see children playing in all the centers? Or do you have a blind spot? For safety reasons, you need to be able to see everything. No back to the kids. So how can you set that up so that you are able to see the whole room? What works for me is making sure that that small group table is in the middle of the room and I put my back to the area that holds my items so no children are there and then I can have my head on a swivel. But you also need to take into consideration if you're using shelves to separate your centers, can you see over them? Can you see over them? And is there a spot in your room where you cannot see a kiddo? So this one is extremely important for supervision and safety, obviously. So make sure that when you are planning, think about if I sit right here on my map, will I be able to see everyone? So that's number three. Consideration number four is the boundary factor. Children know no boundaries. Anybody that has had a little hand on their bum knows this, right? They certainly don't know where specific centers begin and end. So you can make this easier by using that furniture that's low that you can see over to section off different areas. Even if you can't do that, consider using tape on the floor. Make sure that you approve it first, but using painter's tape is usually a pretty safe bet. Can you block them off that way so that they can see that when I go here, this is the things I'm playing with, and then I can move to a different center. That boundary, trying to make them as natural as possible. So a lot of my furniture, if it's a long shelf, is not up against the wall. It's actually protruding into the room to create a divider. And then on one side, it obviously is holding things. And then on the other, 
It is just plain and used as a divider. So think about how you can do that, but also make sure that you're not using any shelving that is too tall, that can be knocked over, that isn't sturdy. Those things have to be bolted to the wall, right? We're talking low, high quality, kid-friendly shelving that does not tip. Those type of things can go definitely be used as dividers to boundary off those centers. So one area that I do this in is my drama center. So I have it in a corner. So I already have two, you know, walls as kind of a boundary. And then to create a third boundary, I use a low, long shelf. And the shelf faces inward to the drama center so I can put some things on there. And then on the back side, a table butts up to it. So using that kind of as a divider there, just thinking about those boundaries and how you want to naturally help children see the differences in centers. All right, consideration number five, there are actually seven of them. I know it sounds like a lot. The proximity factor, this really relates to centers. So are there any centers that need close proximity to you during free play. So if you're doing a small group lesson at the table, which centers might need your assistance the most? This is kind of hard because you don't want those really, really loud centers next to your small group table because then you're not going to be able to hear as well. But you also need to take into consideration which ones really kind of need that close proximity. So for me, I do keep my sensory table within pretty close proximity to my small group table. That way I can make sure that we are not dumping on the floor or putting up noses or any of those type of things. I also like to put my easel near my table. That way, if someone needs help with paper, I can just pop up real fast, put up new paper or, you know, take down paper, whatever it might be. Um, That's another one. And then Obviously, the drama center does need some assistance sometimes, but for me, I choose to keep it far away and just go to them if needed because of the noise factor. So as you can see, there's sometimes many factors at play and you have to pick the one that you feel like is really the one that is going to be bothering you the most or the one that you see to be a problem the most and go off that one. So Proximity really is just, is there a center you want to keep near you? Because in the past you've had issues or you can foresee issues or there's an activity at it that you really need to make sure that you're watching. So that's the proximity factor. Consideration number six is the space factor. How much space do you really have in your classroom? If your answer is not much, then maybe a mobile center might work. I have a large classroom now, but in the past, I have had a pretty dang small classroom. One thing I did to kind of combat this and make a mobile center was my Play-Doh center was actually just a rolling cart and they can bring over to the main table to use it. I don't need an extra Play-Doh table, which is space saving. Another idea is you could combine centers. So math and science easily lend themselves to a combo center. So maybe this is a discovery center. 
Last year, I combined my alphabet with my library. So all the activities for the alphabet center were calm and quiet. So, you know, that worked well. So if you're thinking, I do not have space for all of this, start getting creative. How can some of your spaces lend themselves to double uses? Like I explained how I use my large rug during centers for block center. How can you combine centers if need be? And how can you maybe make these mobile centers or pull it out of a drawer center so that it makes it even that much easier? In my very small classroom, we had a shelving unit. Um, There's like cabinets, you know, that way I could, we don't really have desks. So we have like cabinets up against the wall. And so um, it had some doors below. And it was a completely open cabinet. And we took off the doors and made that little nook a reading nook and added some cool lighting in there. So they thought that was so cool, right? Like so, so cool. But it also saved me a lot of space, right? There's my library center right there inside the little nooks. Think creatively. You never know what you can come up with. Yes, space is usually an issue for most teachers, but it's how we approach it. All right, our last consideration is the racetrack factor. I saved the best for last. You know how sometimes when you thought you had the perfect setup, but you lacked seeing the circular path you created? Well, guess who's going to see that circular path right away? Yep, our children. And they are going to race around it as fast as as they can. Running plus kids plus combined spaces, not good, right? We not, not great for safety, or chaos. So don't be like me, because I've done this in the past where I'm like, this works great. Check the racetrack factor. Now, if you've made this awesome layout, and you're like, oh my gosh, it meets everything but the racetrack factor, I encourage you to try it out. I had a racetrack for almost, well, half the year. No one noticed it. No one. Not one single kid until I got a new friend. That friend noticed it and then the jig was up, right? Everybody knew about it. So you may get lucky. (laughs) You might find that they don't notice it and it's not appealing to them. You could always try it out. If you've, you know, found this awesome layout and you really want to use it, but that's the one thing holding you up, I say give it a try. You can always move it if you need to. That is the racetrack factor. All right, so if I lost you in our actual planning steps, let me go back real fast. So step number one was inventory your furniture. Step number two was decide on the areas needed. Step number three is considerations, which we just talked about all those considerations. And then step number four is draw it out. Really, this is the part where we're going to use a pencil. I suggest a pencil so that you can constantly erase because you're going to put something somewhere and you're going to say, oh, but wait, (laughs) it doesn't meet this consideration. So bringing that to life in your real classroom is not easy. And there has been times when I have literally been staring at my classroom and thinking and thinking and people walk in and they're like, what are you doing? Because I'm really trying to make it the best I can from the start. So I don't have to do a lot of moving around in the year. And I'm trying to curtail some of that negative behavior that can happen because of the physical environment. So draw it out, map it out first, really try to analyze it. Like, you know, 5,791 times is like how many times I feel like I analyze this thing. 
And then when it's right, really try to bring it to life in the classroom. Again, if you want an organized way to map out this information, there's a free workbook at the show notes, lovelycommotion.com slash episode 45. And before we end this episode, I really just want to run through those considerations again, real fast in case you want to write them down or take note of them again, because these considerations are really the bread and butter of this whole thing, right? They're the meat of it. It's the, this is why I'm planning out my classroom setup, because I want to make sure that the physical environment and all the factors within it aren't the reason for negative behaviors or things I don't want to see in my classroom. So let's run through them real fast. The noise factor, how noisy or quiet is it or is it a neutral? The popularity factor, is it going to be a popular center most likely that you're going to need to make larger? How about the supervision factor? Make sure you're seeing everything, no blind spots. The boundary factor, How can you use furniture that you have to section off your different centers, creating boundaries? The proximity factor. Are there any centers that need close proximity to you during free play? The space factor. How much space do you really have? Do you need to get creative by using a mobile center or combining centers? Those type of things. And the racetrack factor. That circle that most kids see you may have created and you didn't even realize you did. Those are all the considerations there for you. And I invite you to go ahead and plan out your classroom layout based on what you learned here. And if you would like to hop over to the lovely preschool teachers Facebook group and drop it in there, we would love to see your layout. And maybe if you're thinking, oh man, I can't, you know, maybe there's something that I can't see. There are so many great, helpful teachers in that group where we can take a look and see, oh, but look, you have this together. Is that something you meant to do? Things like that. So go ahead and grab that free workbook at lovelycommotion.com slash episode 45 and get laying out that classroom. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a friend. This helps me spread the word and help more preschool teachers just like you. Keep being lovely. Lovely.